If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find the Gospel of Luke in the second chapter. Luke chapter 2, if you would, please. And I love, and it was my request that we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We sang that every Christmas around the Advent wreath. And uh, love, love that song. And very fitting uh, for this morning as well. So I have in my mind a man, a very old man, with a long gray beard, and his name starts with the letter S. Who am I thinking of? That's right, I'm thinking of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, okay? So, uh, by the way, uh, in, in Bible times, and even today, ultra-Orthodox Jews, they don't, they don't shave, so that he would have had a long gray beard. And, uh, but his namesake actually is... We don't really know much about Simeon. We know very little about him. In fact, he shows up on the scene, drops off the scene. But we know something about, the, about Santa, don't we? The original Santa was, uh, was Nicholas. Nicholas was, uh, was a saint, so to speak. He was actually a pastor who lived in, in uh, modern-day Turkey, Myra, Turkey, back around 300 A.D., and he, there's all kinds of legends, because you go back 1,700 years, who remembers anything about anybody, right? But the legends are there. He was one who gave, gave gifts to the poor. He supposedly, as legend would have it, saved three uh, uh, sisters from slavery, because if you didn't have a dowry, you likely wouldn't get married. You'd have to indenture yourself to somebody in those days. But apparently he, he, uh, he did so by taking bags of gold and throwing it through their window Uh, And it landed right in front of the fireplace. So you can go ahead and figure out where all those traditions came from. Now you know. And and then, of course, there's there's more stories than that. But from this real character, Nicholas was a real character, that we get our make-believe one. Now, 300 years before Nicholas, a better Santa came to town. Amen? And let's let's just... We can just put it right out there. Jesus is better than Santa. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, good. We're good on that. Otherwise, I won't. No more spoilers, all right? Well, you got to hand it to Santa. I mean, he does create great expectations. I mean, I, I, on Christmas Eve, that was when our family celebrated Christmas. We always would load into the station wagon all like, well, there were a bunch of us, okay? And we would drive all over Waterloo, Iowa, look at the lights, and we'd come back. I mean, we had, we'd, always have the, we'd always have the coffee and the cookie out there for Santa. And every time we came back, they'd say, you just missed him. And it was really, really frustrating. And in fact, one Christmas, they, they tortured us so much. One Christmas, as we pulled into the driveway, a Santa came out of the house, jumped over the rail. It was my brother, Steve. And... Uh, I didn't know that, though. We, my brother and I, my little brother and I, were ready to jump out of the moving car to try to catch him. And I can remember being in the house going, how is it every year? We, we just miss him every year. Oh, my goodness, what are all these gifts here? And quickly, we forgot about that. So we gladly got the gifts and quickly forgot the giver, which is what a lot of us do. We quickly forget the giver. For the gifts that he gives us. Simeon, the subject of this morning's message, uh, is a 
this story is a post-Advent event. The scene in Luke chapter 2 is not the circumcision of Jesus, but the dedication of Jesus. And in fact, if you look in verses 23 through 24, you see there's a, a clear allusion to Leviticus chapter 12, where we're told, and by the way, because of this, we know exactly how old Jesus was in this moment. Jesus was 40 days old at this moment. We know that. And if you follow the chronology, you've got the birth, the shepherd story, the birth of Jesus and whatnot. And so Luke does follow the chronology better than any other gospel, really. You would have this as the next, you know, the circumcision not being recorded, but this dedication is. The next thing would be the wise men. You talk about great expectations, but that would be for Christmas Eve's message. Okay, so I don't want to get ahead of myself here. My friend Dave Heisterkamp preached on this message a few years ago, preached on Simeon. I loved his title. His title of his message was, The Man Who Died Satisfied. How are you going to die? You know, it's one thing to be ready to go to heaven. It's another thing to be ready to meet the Lord. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because some of you are not ready to go to heaven. And those of you that are, among you, some of you are not ready to meet the Lord. There's a distinction there. It's one thing to be ready to go to heaven. It's another thing to be ready to meet the Lord. The man in this story, Simeon, was both. He was both. And let's, without further ado, let's look at the text itself, beginning in verse 25. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Imagine that. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, that would be Mary and Joseph, brought in the, uh, the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... He, Simeon, took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your, what? Say it. Salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light and a revelation a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. So this is the only mention anywhere in the Bible of Simeon. He's, and yet he's described in a very spiritually large way, so don't miss it. He's described as righteous. And so if you're righteous, you are right with God. That means you have trusted in the living God and his promised Messiah, which was to come. Who was to come? So he was righteous. He was devout. That word means to fear God. It means to live in such a way that you are in constant awareness of God. And let me tell you something. God's people, the church of Jesus Christ today, would absolutely turn the world upside down if we lived devoutly. That is, with a constant awareness of God. And that was Simeon. And he was waiting. So he was a man of great expectation. Are you waiting? Are you waiting for Jesus? You should be. That's why we're in 1 Thessalonians in our series. He is coming again. Amen? 
So Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. That would be like you and I just waiting for Jesus. That was a Jewish way of, some of your Bibles translate the word comfort. So Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ would come. He would bring comfort. He would bring consolation to physically, spiritually, socially, everything. And will do that, by the way, eventually. So to say you're waiting for the consolation of Israel is simply to say you're waiting for the Messiah. That's all that meant. In fact, there was a Jewish, ancient Jewish prayer that people prayed in these days. Simeon probably prayed it. May I see in my lifetime the consolation of Israel. But Simeon wasn't just waiting. He was expecting, right? I mean, we tell when a woman says she's expecting, you know, she's not saying, I wonder if I'm going to have a kid. She's expecting that she's going to have a child. That's the idea here. What was it that gave Simeon the great expectation that he had? It's because he wasn't just ready to go to heaven. He was ready to meet the Lord. And therein lies the challenge for this morning. Some of you are not ready to go to heaven. Will you get ready today? And some of you are not ready, though you are ready to go to heaven because you've been born again. You have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ and his subsequent resurrection. But you are not ready to meet the Lord. You'll be ready to meet the Lord if you are, from this passage. You'll be ready to meet the Lord if you're sensitive to the Spirit of God. And did you see that? Not once, not twice, three times. End of verse 25, verse 26, verse 27. Holy Spirit, he's led by the Spirit. He comes in by the Spirit. Simeon had an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, does that make you feel uncomfortable? Listen. You don't have to be a charismatic to be in tune with God. You don't have to believe in in all kinds of wild experiences to have a genuine relationship with the living God by which you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you walk in the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit, and you do extraordinary things for God by His Holy Spirit. It's not easy to talk about experiences when the Holy Spirit's leading in your life is so powerful, so clear, so evident, so so clearly obvious that you would be disobedient and outrightly insensitive to ignore him. And by the way, I appreciated Pastor Jason's message last week when he he pronounced ignorance, the word ignorance, because the root of it is to ignore And some of you who know God, you know that you have been indwelt by the Spirit of God, but you don't act like it. There's no evidence to that end. And where is the experience? I have had experience. I'm telling you this as God is my witness before you. And as humbly as I can, I have had experiences in my life by way of the Holy Spirit that have literally taken my breath away. And, and left me almost jumping for joy. And yet, out of every one of those experiences have come amazing opportunities. Because God doesn't do anything for you just to get the experience. He wants to do something by when he fills you with his spirit, when he fills you with his power, something happens for the glory of God. 
and not just some heebie-jeebie feeling coming out of it. Dwight L. L. Moody, the great preacher of the 19th century, he was greatly used of God. Many of you know that. What you might not know is he was not an eloquent man. In fact, he was lambasted and caricatured in the media because he was constantly mispronouncing words and, and not stringing sentences together very, you know, as we would say, eloquently. But the power that this man had was absolutely undeniable. People were coming to Christ right, left, and center every time he spoke. And he testifies about very early in his ministry, two women came to him and said, we are praying for you, Mr. Moody. He said, what are you praying for me for? He said, we're praying that you would, we're praying you would have power. That the power of God through the Holy Spirit would go through you. And he began to pray with them. And he testifies in his own words how he was in New York City one day. And he said, I had to ask God to withhold his hand lest I die on the spot for very joy. Now, again, as I said earlier, Moody was not promoting the seeking of some esoteric experience. He wanted the power of God. And by the way, the Spirit of God says God has not, the Bible tells us God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of a sound mind, right? And when that is evident in your life, as it was in Moody's life, there is proof. There is evidence. The results are absolutely undeniable. Moody's ongoing Holy Spirit-infused life resulted in thousands of people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. Are you sensitive to the Spirit of God? When you talk to me about your experience, your great experience, it should be followed with great results. And I told you before I've had experiences and I'm not here to articulate all of them. I've told one, it's my very earliest experience, an extraordinary moment that took place in my life. And I'll share it with you again because I love telling this because it, it's, I can't explain it. I was on a golf course with a deacon. I was a brand new, right out of the chute Christian. I was a brand new Christian. And I was, my, the deacon and I were golfing, and we were golfing with a guy who did not know Jesus. And I was, if you knew me when I was a brand new Christian, I was the proverbial bull in the china shop, you know. So I am just witnessing to him all the time. He's really getting annoyed with me. And, uh, but I was so persistent. And uh, we were in the fairway. Uh, I was in the fairway, and he'd hit his ball in the rough, which I know is a minor miracle that I'm in the fairway, but let's just forget about that for a moment. He's literally standing under a tree, getting ready to hit his second shot. And I'm in the fairway. It was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. There was no breeze, none. And I looked up at him. I said, you better move out of the way, John, because that limb's about ready to break. He went like, he looked up. He went like, stepped into the fairway. Boom, it came right down. This, rim was, this limb was this big around. It would have conked him right on the head. I have no way to explain that to you. I don't know how, I have, I, it's absolutely inexplicable to me. I know this, he really paid attention to me after that. <laughs> now listen, on the other hand, there have been many times in my life, to my shame, that I've not always obeyed God, and I've not always been sensitive to him. Believe me, If I was always sensitive to the Spirit of God, I would not be writing a book titled Retractions. 
figure that one out for yourself. Now listen, this is if you're going to be ready to meet the Lord, then you need to stop quenching the Spirit's work in your life. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God. You want to meet the Lord? You want to be ready to meet the Lord? That wasn't a rhetorical question. I'm asking you. Do you want to be ready to meet the Lord? All right. Then be sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord. Secondly, Simeon was secured by the promise of God. You saw that in there, right? I mean, God had told him he would not die before he would see the Lord's Christ. Imagine that. Talk about great expectation. He was anchored in this, secured by the promise from God. Now, how old was this man, Simeon? The short answer is we have no idea of knowing. Tradition tells us he was old. And the fact that he mentions that he can now die, now I can depart, is more than an implication that he was elderly. We, we know virtually nothing else about him. And for all we know, listen to this, for all we know, he might have had a very hard life and probably did. The year in this scene at the temple, 40 days after Jesus was born, was 4 B.C. In 63 B.C., so nearly 60 years late, uh, earlier, Rome, the new power, the new kid on the block, the new power, the greatest power of all time to, to rule the world, through Pompey, conquered Palestine. That was 63 B.C. If Simeon was about 80-ish in this passage, then, think with me if you will, he would have been a very young man at the time that Rome conquered Palestine. Now think of, again, for 700 years up until that time, 700 years, the Jews had been subjugated by the Babylonians, by the Medo-Persians, by the Greeks, by Greeks rather, Alexander the Great, and now by the greatest power to ever rule the world, Rome. How discouraging. Talk about piling on. In my imagination, I see Simeon just entering into adulthood. He loves God. He's been made righteous through his trust in the living God. But he's deeply discouraged. Only to have the Holy Spirit come to him when he was young. Maybe right after his bar mitzvah. Maybe he's a teenager. And the Spirit comes and says to him, Hang in there, Simeon. I'm still bringing my salvation. And you will see him before you die. Secured by a promise. On the other hand, he wasn't told when that was going to happen. So if he got that promise when he was a very young person, and I don't have any way of proving that, isn't it the same for us? Not that we're guaranteed that we're going to be alive when Jesus comes back, but we are secured by a promise, amen? Jesus is coming again, and it might be before you die. Either way, it's a promise that you can be secure in. Listen, we live by, on promises, not experiences. Much as I love these great experiences, much as they blow me away when they happen, I don't live off them. I live off the promises of God. I've had plenty of great experiences, but I live off great expectations. Do you want to be ready to meet the Lord? Then find 
your security, no matter what's happening in your life, hard, easy, somewhere in the middle, doesn't matter. Find your security in the promises of God. Thirdly, the reason Simeon was ready to meet the Lord was because he was saturated by the word of God. Did you see, you see the, the indentation in your Bible where he's saying, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, and according to your word, my eyes have seen your salvation, prepared for the, in the presence of all peoples, light for the Gentiles, glory for the people. He's actually sewing together. He's actually sewing together in that little song of his excerpts from, um, from Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 60. I think there's one other passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 52. How do we know Simeon was saturated with the word of God? Because he memorized verses from Isaiah. And who does that? I was reminded as I was preparing, I was reminded, uh, you know, as a young pastor, I, I stood up in the pulpit of the church I was preaching. I thought I'd be a smart aleck. I was preaching from Ezekiel, and it, wasn't, it was an obscure passage in Ezekiel. So I said, open your Bibles to the clean pages, you know, the ones that you, you know, some would be peeling pages apart, you know. And, uh, and I preached Afterwards, two guys walked up to me, and they showed me their clean pages, absolutely filled with personal notes that they'd written in there. And then I should have been surprised, because these two guys were saturated with the Word of God. They were men of God, godly men. Shouldn't have surprised me, and didn't. Listen. Listen to this. Listen. Only you who are saturated with the Word of God can be assured that you'll be sensitive to the Spirit of God. I'll say it again. Only those of you who are saturated in the Word of God can know that you'll be sensitive to the Spirit of God. I know this because God puts His Word and His Spirit so inextricably close to one another. They're different. The Bible and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's a person. The Bible is not a person, but it's inspired by God. It is the Word of God breathed out by God. Amen? But when Paul, from the very same Roman prison, wrote the letter to Colossians and a letter to the Ephesians from the same prison. That's why Colossians and Ephesians are parallel books. They're so much alike. And to the Colossians, Paul said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And then he, he gives the results that you'll, 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 you'll sing with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. You'll, you'll sing with melody in your hearts to the Lord. And he writes to the Ephesians a different letter, and he says, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then gives the exact same results. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are inextricably tied together, and I'm telling you again, only if you're saturated in the Word of God can you know for certain you'll be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Do you want to be ready to meet the Lord? Then saturate yourself in the Word of God. It gives me great joy. So many of you are testifying to reading through the Bible this year. And I don't care if you're in the program that we're using or not. Be in the Word. Be like Job who's, or Jeremiah who said, Your word I did find and I did eat it. And it was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Job said, I've treasured the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. Saturated by the Word of God. And finally, saved by the Son of God. There is a beautiful phrase in verse 28 when it says, Simeon 
walked into the temple. Here's Mary and Joseph. They're performing the act of dedication. He walks into the temple and he takes the baby up into his arms. You see that in verse 28? How would you like that, mom? You walk in, you got your baby, and uh, somebody, just some stranger comes up, and I'm not a stranger to you, am I, Statham, huh? And takes you into his arms. Now, he's a little older than 40 days, but not much. He is a beautiful baby, though, isn't he, huh? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. We had a guy in this church several years ago. Some of you moms remember this. He was well-intentioned, but badly misled. And he would walk up to mothers and ask if he could hold their babies. And we had moms coming back saying, I don't know what to do about this guy. He's coming and asking. So we pulled him in. I said, hey, you can't do that. You can't do that. He said, why not? I'm not going to hurt him. I said, I I know, but it's not, it's just not proper. Why? What's the big deal? He said, I said, don't do it anymore. He, He did. He quit. So here comes Simeon into the temple, and he takes the baby up in his arms. And for him, it wasn't just proper, it was prophetic. The long-awaited promise of salvation was before him. It was more than a promise. It was salvation itself. And remember, look at verse 30. He says, my, look, he says, my eyes have seen your what? What's the word? Salvation, right? Jesus isn't just the way of salvation. He is salvation. As he held the baby and said, my eyes have seen your salvation, I want you to know that Simeon did not speak in Greek. He spoke in Hebrew. The Bible was written in in Greek, and the word salvation is the word of soteria. But when Simeon spoke, he would have spoken in Hebrew, and he would have said, my eyes have seen your, are you ready for it? Yeshua, that's the Hebrew word, Yeshua, that's the word for Jesus. The Bible says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, amen? And so he was virtually naming the one who had already been named, Yeshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation. He was and is salvation. Now, this had to just blow Mary and Joseph away. He said, Mary said, he said he's going to bless all people. He's going to bless Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you should say hallelujah. Because that's for all of us, right? And he blessed them. And then just look at what happens next. Look, look at verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said of it, about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary. Now his focus is on Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So this very beautiful scene suddenly becomes a very sobering one. Simeon himself becomes the bearer of future news for Mary. Remember, he's told earlier in his own life, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. Now he tells Mary something that's going to happen later on in her own. He's the bearer of future news. And it doesn't sound good. 
40 days earlier, she'd experienced this, the angel and the explosion. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And she pondered these things in her heart, right? And for the next 30 years, she would wonder in her heart when this emotional sword was coming. And you know when it would come, right? When her son, 33 years later, would be hanging on a cross, taking your sins and mine upon himself. In fact, taking his own mother's sins upon himself. Everybody's deserted him except for the young guy, John, and his mom. And Jesus looks down at his own mother and says, Woman, behold your son. I can't even imagine. But note that this is a parenthetical thought. All your Bibles have this bracketed. It is what Simeon said. But it was what he said on his way to how he finished when he said, the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed as a result of this baby. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus brings out what otherwise cannot be seen. I can't see your heart. I can't see what's going on in your heart right now. But I don't have to. Your words, your attitudes, your actions toward Jesus reveal, that's the word, reveal what's in there. The Greek word means, the Greek word reveal means to remove a cover. That's what it means. You mean to take off a cover. So what's under yours? That's the question, right? What's under your cover? You know, if I, if I go into the kitchen and lift the cover off something my wife's been cooking, it's like, oh, it's wonderful. But if I lift the cover of the garbage bin up after the grandkids have been around, oh, man. How do folks respond to you? When you lift your own cover, because believe it or not, you're lifting the cover. You're showing us your heart, whether you like it or not. And Jesus is the one. He's the great revealer. In Simeon's life, no matter how hard it might have been, was a beautiful one. He could receive Jesus into his arms because he had already trusted him in his heart. Is he in yours? Is he in your heart right now? Seriously. For those of you who would say, oh, yeah, absolutely, I know he's there. Remember, it's one thing to be ready to go to heaven. It's another thing to be ready to meet the Lord. Are you ready to meet him? For those of you who are not ready, whether you're watching online or you're here in this room, your heart is darkened. And the great revealer has come. And when people look at you and they listen to you and they, they see the things that you focus on, the words that come out of your mouth, would they conclude that is a Christian? That's a follower of Jesus. Or would they conclude something radically different? And that may be the only thing you need to hear to know that you're not a Christian and you need to be born again. You need to receive the Christ child, not into your arms 
but into your heart. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes unto righteousness, like Simeon was righteous, the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you know him? Will you receive him? And if you have, will you be ready to meet him when he comes? John put it like this, and now, little children, abide in him, so that when he, parousia, when he appears, we might have confidence and not be ashamed, literally, away from him at his appearing. Why would he say that? Because it's one thing to be ready to go to heaven. It's another thing to be ready to meet the Lord. God in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the Christmas story and the, uh, and the addendums like Simeon. Thank you for his life. Thank you for giving us this snapshot of a man and Anna who would follow him. A woman and a man not only ready to go to heaven, but ready to meet you, Lord Jesus. And I do pray for those in this room. Underneath the cover is nothing but stench. They know something about you, but they don't know you. They could talk about you, but they don't have a relationship with you. If that's you, dear friend, right now, from your heart, acknowledge your sin. Humble yourself before God. He loves you. Believe that the Christ child died for you and rose again. Place your faith in Jesus right now with something from your heart that says, Lord, I am a sinner. I am a filthy, rotten, wretched, stinking sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I trust you as my Lord and Savior right now. Would that be your prayer? Would you receive Christ into your heart? And every one of you who would say, yeah, I, I, I've done that. I, I believe that. You're ready to go to heaven. Are you ready to meet the Lord? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.